Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Tuesday, October 31st. Happy Halloween, guys. Great show today. Chuck Pollock, uh, recurring guest from Buffalo, going to break down the Buffalo Bills' weird season they've had so far. Uh, looked pretty uh, looked pretty bad recently. Got a good bounce back win this past Thursday against the Buccaneers. Going to break down, you know, the season they've had so far, the season going ahead as well. Uh, you know, we're going to get into all of that with him. Awesome interview. We're going to start now, though, guys, like we usually do with our NFL, uh, the recap of last week's NFL games uh, this past Sunday. We'll do our closest games, most intriguing storylines, shootouts, snoozers, uh, all that like we usually do. Zach, we're going to start with you. What was your closest game of this uh, this past week in NFL? Yeah, so closest game this week. I, I I'm going to go with the uh, the Seahawks and the Browns. That was a very entertaining back and forth game. The Seahawks able to win it late with a last second touchdown uh, to kind of take control of that game. Jackson Smith and Jigbo with the winner. Uh, Geno Smith really played well and uh, two touchdowns. I know he threw a couple of interceptions, but he kept fighting and he kept he stayed with it didn't allow the interceptions to bother him and in a game where you know Kenneth Walker somehow only got eight carries but he rushed for 66 yards very reliant on the passing game the Browns defense not their finest moment they played well yesterday but this is one of those games that it's evident that they missed Deshaun Watson because their offense couldn't generate a whole lot and by the way uh, we should go ahead and just petition the Seahawks to uh use their throwback uniforms as their full-time unis because those are better than the ones they have right now. But a big-time win for Seattle, moving to 5-2, and two, and I think people aren't really talking enough about them, especially with the, the 49ers slide. The Seahawks are in first place. Yeah, speaking of Walker, I mean, uh, this is also my closest game of the week. P.J. Walker, definitely. Browns missed Deshaun Watson. They, It's going to... Browns can be a competitive team. I think this uh, this game showed that Browns can definitely be a competitive team, but it's going to be on defense. It's not going to be on offense. Walker, P.J. Walker, that is, struggled against the Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks majorly. He only uh, he had under 50 percent completion rating uh, or completion percentage. I mean, at fifteen for thirty one of the day, uh, with two interceptions as well. All I mean, the only thing he could really throw all game were just screen passes, and Browns were pretty much completely reliant on their run game the entire game, and they really couldn't do much against the Seahawks defense. Seahawks defense, though, delivered three sacks, two interceptions, like I just said, and six pass breakups as well, and forced the fumble. Uh, this was a really, really big uh, defensive-heavy game, and it, I think it was their defense that ultimately ended up allowing the Seahawks to uh, come back from that early 14-point uh, lead that they uh, that they suffered early in the game. Zach, or Justin, what was your closest game of the week? I'll go right back to the Browns and the Seahawks. Very close game. Very entertaining, obviously. Two pretty good defenses as well. Seattle's defense wasn't terrible. I know the Browns had P.J. Walker in there again. But the Seahawks come up big with the win. And they're leading the NFC West right now at 5-2 and two as the 49ers. That's a, that's an intriguing storyline I have. What yeah, happened we'll, to we'll that? We'll, so we all have uh, Seahawks-Browns as the closest game. No surprise there. Definitely was one of the closest games of the week. But like you just alluded to, Justin, we'll, we'll move on to most intriguing storylines. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you. What was your most intriguing storyline of the week? 
the Bengals are back. Let's just go ahead and say it. They were 1-3 and three at one point, and this is a slow starting team last year, slow starting team this year, but now they're kind of rounding into form, and it's looking eerily similar to what they did a year ago. Joe Burrow was fantastic in this game. They had 11 first downs in just the first quarter alone. You know, that was a game that it was, ended 31-17. It could have been worse because the Bengals squandered a couple of opportunities, missed a field goal, turned the ball over, but 28 of 32, 283, and three touchdowns. That's about as good as you can play uh, in this league. Joe Mixon, 87 yards rushing. This is a team that really struggled to run the ball in the early part of the season. They're starting to do that now. Uh, Jamar Chase doing Jamar Chase things, 10 catches, 100 yards. This is a team that's still very dangerous. And you look at the top of the AFC right now, the Chiefs, after losing yesterday to the Broncos, uh, them and the Ravens, I think, are tied atop the AFC. But the Bengals have as much upside as anybody, and now they're starting to round into form. So I think all those questions that everybody had about them have been answered in a big-time way. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Bryce Young out-dueling C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young had this game circled for a long time. Uh, they uh, obviously, you know, we just they were Texans did come or they did play Panth- the Panthers in Houston this past weekend. Uh, they Bryce Young, yeah, played really well for all things considered. Twenty-two for thirty-one. 235 yards with one touchdown. He overcame six sacks and three really bad dropped passes by uh, by his receivers. And despite being under pressure, he had his two longest completions of the season so far at 40 and 31 yards. It was really the defense, though, for the Panthers that really helped win this game uh, for you know for Young and, and the team. I mean, Houston's offense couldn't do anything all game, it seems like. I mean, Stroud finished only 16 for... 24 with only 140 passing yards. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Houston, uh, Houston's offense, you know, just like I said, really struggled this game. Uh, Panthers let up 84 points and 12 touchdowns over the last two games. And I don't think uh, Houston had, Houston only had one play over 20 yards this entire game. So, yeah, good for the Panthers. Really helped uh, Young uh, win against his um, draft counterpart and, yeah, was able to get their fir- uh, get their win of the season, first win of the season. Justin, what was your most intriguing storyline? Pretty much already said it with the 49ers. Now, what happened to them this week? Brock Purdy has not been the best quarterback for the last three weeks. So he's had he's had some turnovers. Finally, the turnover bug is starting to get to Brock Purdy and the 49ers. Obviously, there's injuries injuries on the offensive side of the ball, but not uh, not great for Brock Purdy. And do they go to Sam Darnold? That's the question. With he was and Purdy was almost not going to play. Clear concussion protocol on Saturday, and that was it was a it's a tough game for the Niners and. Purdy might be on the bench. Who knows? Yeah, I want to know how that happened, how you can get concussed Monday, finish the game, and then somehow in five days clear concussion protocol. That's uh, that's interesting. Science. That's all I can say about that is science. Surprise of the week. What is your surprise of the week, Zach? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. It's the Broncos beating the Chiefs for the first time since 2015. I mean, you look at Patrick Mahomes, didn't throw a touchdown pass through two interceptions. They were just off from the very beginning. Travis Kelsey only had six catches. I guess he was missing T. Swift this week, but they couldn't run the ball either. Their defense was fine, but nothing spectacular. And, you know, the Broncos, this is a team that's been one of the worst teams in the league this season, but now they're three and five. They're kind of in the mix. And, you know, Russell Wilson threw three touchdowns yesterday. I know he only threw for 114 yards, but 12 and 19, when a quarter of your throws are touchdowns, that's usually pretty good. And, you know, this is a defensive game from the very beginning. Kansas State turned it over five times, which you just don't see out of them 
it, it was just a rare off day for them. I'm not concerned long term, but that's a big time win for the Broncos and kind of a head scratching loss for the Chiefs. Did Patrick Mahomes have the flu? I heard like varying reports about him having yeah. the flu. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, that's been rumored. I don't know if it was ever confirmed, yeah. but the, you know he was on the injury report because he got sick. So he played like his flu too. game was not like Michael Jordan's. That's for sure. Yeah, like like no, you said, Zach. Not. Yeah, definitely. He definitely did. He probably had one of his worst games of his career. Even I think. And correct me if I'm wrong on this too, but I think I also heard he never lost to a divisional opponent on the road. That's, that's insane. Correct. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's which is that in, that alone. Loss. That stat alone is just. Bonkers to, to have never, even on the road, have never lost to a d- divisional opponent in your career yet. But yeah, no, uh, Broncos and Russell Wilson, <laughs> above all things, give uh, give the Chiefs their first of many, uh, you know, record breakers in this game. Like I said, you said, Zach, like they haven't beat the Broncos in 16 games. They have, you know, Mahomes ever lost a, an away game at, to a divisional opponent in his career. So yeah, one of his worst games of his career for sure. Uh, Mahomes averaged only 6.2 yards per attempt, and he was sacked three times. Not all on him, obviously. Chiefs couldn't move the ball. Chiefs could not move the ball all day, though. I mean, they posted three field goals, went 0 for three in the red zone, and turned it over. Turned it over four times on offense. Russell Wilson, you know, stop me if you heard this before. Did just enough to get the job done. Uh, really, not a great game, all things considered. Uh, really a run dominant game for the Broncos. I mean, he only had 114 yards total on the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that, that was kind of the whole purpose of this game. They, the Denver went up 14-9 going into halftime, and then they really just ran the ball a lot to run the, run the clock out. And, you know, like I said, it obviously showed up in Russell Wilson's final stat sheet, not even getting uh, 150 yards of passing offense. And yeah, Kansas City had just three second half possessions the entire second half. Um, and only one final possession for a meaningless snap at the end. So, yeah, this is definitely a surprise surprise outcome. And, Justin, was this also your most intriguing um, – oh, I'm sorry, mo- your surprise of the week? Yeah. Upset of the week? Yeah, it was an upset for sure. I was uh, – I locked up Kansas City this week. I locked them up, and they didn't, uh, they didn't show up this week, that's for sure. And the Broncos, with a, with a good win there, I mean – Wilson did pretty much do enough. He only had 114 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Mahomes threw two interceptions. Very rare, very fluky day for the Chiefs offense and the Chiefs in general. Kind of, I mean, would you say this? Pretty much every team wouldn't say, even the the best teams, I'd say they have somewhat of a flaw. I'd say somewhat about every Somewhat about every team does, even the best teams. Would you, yeah, would you I mean, say that? I think we were saying the same thing with the Chiefs um, maybe earlier in the season last year, but we were also saying the same things about the Chiefs last year about how they might be struggling, struggling on offense, might not be as good as people think they are. We obviously know how their, their season ended last year. So I would – I don't – I mean, they definitely have flaws for sure. Uh, I think they haven't been as good on offense uh, at this time last year than they were last year. Um, but no, I, I still think they're going to be completely fine going down the stretch. Um, uh, let's move on to shootout of the week. Zach, what is your shootout of the week? Yeah, my shootout of the week is going to be Eagles and Commanders. Every time these teams play, it always seems to be intriguing. And Jalen Hurts injured his knee, but he still threw four touchdown passes in this game. The tush push actually got stopped for the first time mm-hmm. ever, but 
it didn't seem to matter. DeAndre Swift only rushed for 57 yards, but this is a Jalen Hurts game. Threw the ball 38 times. A.J. Brown, yet another 125-yard-plus receiving performance, 130 yards and two touchdowns. You can make the argument he is the best receiver in the NFL right now, or at least he's in the conversation. Devontae Smith almost had 100 yards and a touchdown as well. And then you look on the other side of the commanders. Sam Howell played one of his better games, 397 yards, four touchdowns, uh, 39 of 52. Jahan Dotson, Jamison Crowder in big games. Four different commanders caught touchdown passes. This was the most entertaining game of the day, and the Eagles get another road win. People want to talk about, oh, it hasn't always been pretty for them this year, but they're 7-1. They're the best team in the NFL right now. It's not particularly close, but that's a shootout of the week. Yeah, Brown Brown was the first receiver in NFL history to have uh, more than 125 receiving yards in six consecutive games. Um, and they needed it, too. I mean, this is my shootout of the week, obviously, as well. But uh, Commanders really held the Eagles on the run game. I mean, they allowed Philadelphia only 59 rush yards all game, which Philadelphia is usually a team, as we all know, it's very dominant on the run game. So, yeah, I mean, Hertz had to kind of play the way he did. Brown had to play the way he did. I mean, he hurts through for 29 for 38, over 319 yards and four touchdowns. Still have some concerns about his knee going forward, though. I know a lot of people were saying about his right knee. He continues to limp a lot. He, a lot of uh, shots of him limping uh, in this game, you know, after plays and, and, and whatnot. So we'll have to kind of keep an eye on that as that goes forward. But super fun game to watch. Both teams were really just balling out. Hurts as we expected, but even like you said, Zach, Sam Howell came out and played a really, really good game for the Commanders as well. And just, yeah, always for some reason, Commanders always play the Eagles really well. I don't know if the Eagles just struggle against them or for some reason, Commanders just, uh, you know, get up for the for these games. I'm not really sure. But um, Justin, what is your shootout of the week? Same thing? Yep. Same thing. Good win by the Eagles, obviously, the Commanders. Always play them tough. Pretty much this is the – wouldn't say that's the one team in the division they struggle with. Dallas, that's that's going to be a big game this weekend. That's going to that's probably going to be my most intriguing storyline for this week mm-hmm. already, but we'll talk about that on the Saturday show. But a good win for the Eagles. The Commanders definitely give them problems. And the red zone offense for the Eagles definitely has to improve more, even with the tush push being stopped pretty much for the first time ever, and Kenny Gainwell in the red zone as well. Shouldn't use him. Shouldn't use him in the red zone. And as we're going to get to the trade deadline, I know we're going to talk about that, but um, never underestimate Howie Roseman's move to make a move for a red zone running back and maybe even some help in the secondary. Already got Kevin Byard as well. Maybe even Patrick Sertan or... A Derrick Henry reunion in Philly with A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, and as I just yeah, said, Yeah, it, it got close towards the end, though. Uh, definitely a close game, too. Obviously, we can put it in that category. Terry McLaren uh, dropped multiple passes on third and fourth downs on the last drive to ultimately give the Eagles back to the ball. They were really, really bad drops that he had. And uh, if he would have caught those and gotten at least one of those uh, first downs, it could have definitely been a different story. Uh, this would have, might have been a different outcome, but... No, Eagles were able to come away with the victory. Snoozer of the week. I think we're all going to have the same snoozer, too. Zach, what, we'll start with you. Jets Jets and Giants? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime it's Zach Wilson versus Tommy DeVito, that is a definition of a snooze fest. Tommy DeVito actually had less passing yards than all of us because he had negative one yards passing. The Jet, the Giants as a team 
Seven passing yards. The leading receiver was Darren Wall, or the leading receiver as far as receptions was Saquon Barkley. He had three catches for zero yards. Darren Waller had one catch for four yards. That was, and Matt Breida had one catch for four yards. That was the Giants' passing game. Saquon Barkley was good, but yep. I mean that game that that game set football back fifty years. Yeah, right? I think the fact that it went to overtime is a disservice yep. to overtime. They should have just gone ahead and called it a tie. Just get out of here. Nobody wants to watch that. I'm surprised game. it didn't tie. This game had major tie vibes. Over, I mean, even oh, since yeah. the first quarter, this game had major tie vibe. I mean, yeah, like you said, Zach Zach Wilson played terribly. Um, Terod Taylor, he got injured, obviously got knocked out. Tom DeVito came in for him. He, Tom DeVito didn't play very well either. Um, obviously, he didn't play well at all. Uh, they only played. You have less passing yards than everybody on this podcast. I'm just going to say you didn't yeah. play very well. Oh, I, I, everybody had more yeah. passing yards in the yeah. stadium. Than Tommy oh, sure DeVito did. sounds like that, and and it sounds like he runs an Italian restaurant yes, up in the does. New York City <laughs> area. <laughs> Sandwich got shop. Got out of the Sopranos. He was an extra. I, I yeah, it, right, it, right. <laughs> negative one total yards. Yeah, if you if you can uh, get more yards without putting any pads on, it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty bad. I mean, the only play that seemed uh, seemed to run with him was an out route to. Saquon Barkley every time, which like you said, Zach, Sa- Saquon Barkley led the league or led the team in actual receiving yards for for the Giants. Well, I mean, Giants just Giants had a lot of potential going into this year. I'm not really sure what happened with the Giants. I mean, I just maybe they were overhyped. I'm not really sure, but uh, I think they believe their own hype as, as well. Giving Daniel Jones that that massive contract. I mean, they they should. Yeah. That's a big mistake right there. Just because Daniel Jones had a good year doesn't doesn't mean he's worth forty five million a year. Can cannot give him that type of deal. And for say and the whole Saquon situation, I, I think he's gonna get traded. I know we'll talk about the trade deadline soon, but there's a potential that Saquon gets traded and obviously they just made a trade already. We'll talk about that as well. He probably wants to. He probably wants to get traded. I mean, he's gonna. His legs are gonna fall off at this point if they keep using him the way he's been using him. I mean, this he was the entire offense for the Giants. I mean, as little offense they had on Sunday, he was the entire offense. He rushed for thirty six times for one hundred and twenty eight yards with reception yards on that as well. As we said, yeah. I mean, you just got remember too. He's coming fresh off of um, you know fresh off the IR uh, with that leg injury that he had too. They got to be careful with his usage. I mean, I don't think they have much of a choice. If they want to at least look competent, they have to definitely utilize him a lot. But uh, anything else, Justin? I mean, I, I know this is probably your snoozer of the week too. Anything else you want to add to this? Any, besides what you yes, say? Yes, it is. 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that is the snoozer of the week. I mean, yeah. just <laughs> that those teams, I mean, you know, defensive slugfest, obviously, in the rain, I mean, what kind of co- I mean, what kind of coaching was that by by both sides? Even by by Brian Dable, supposed to be the reigning coach of the year. What happened? I don't know, but kind of a game. At least it was a game people thought was going to be bad. It's not like it was a game that had a whole lot of hype to it, and then it turned out to be bad. At least it was kind of by expectations. What happened? Let's go on. Like, let's go through the games that we did not go through yet, guys. Patriots, Dolphins. I don't think we talked about surprisingly. Um, Patriots. Starting to show, I mean, the Dolphins came came away with the win, obviously, but the Patriots are kind of starting to show some life here, uh, or at least 
you know, playing better, uh, even though Mac Jones continues to struggle, the Patriots team has been looking a little bit better so far. Yeah, they're playing pretty well. I, I think a team that we haven't talked about yet that had the most dominant performance yesterday was the Cowboys. They went out and just dominated the Rams from the very beginning. Uh, Bland had his third pick six of the year. Dak threw four touchdowns. This game was never in doubt. Like When people say the Cowboys are the most talented team in the NFC, or at least in that conversation, they just showed you why. They showed you that they are, when they play at their best, Cowboys are a tough out. I mean, they did this without even much of a running game either, but the defense dominated. C.D. Lamb, 12 catches, 158 yards. I think they did the smart thing. They force-fed him. They didn't try to spread it around as they so often do. They just got the ball in the C.D. Lamb's hands, and who knew? The offense actually takes off. Yeah. Um, the defense for Dallas continues to dominate too. Cornerback, uh, Deron Bland, continues his remarkable 2023 season snagging another interception and taking it to the house for a touchdown. Bland is up to four interceptions on the year for the Dallas uh, backfield. Uh, yeah, held the Rams' rushing attack also to only 3.8 yards per carry and limited Cooper Cuff to just four receptions for 21 yards. But, yeah, like you said, Zach, came out immediately in the first quarter, had a huge 17-3 lead, and then uh, Stafford were never able to come back, and especially with his injury, were, were just never able to come back in this game. Um, Panthers, Steelers, ugly game. Steel, uh, Steel, oh, thank you. Uh, Jaguar, Steelers, ugly, ugly game. Uh, Steelers continue to struggle on offense, they have absolutely no offensive identity. Pickett left with an injury, he got absolutely slammed to the ground. Um, I, I wasn't watching the game, but I was watching Red Zone and I saw this happen. It looked he got absolutely just demolished. Um, but yeah. yeah. What else do you guys? Jacksonville's a top team yeah. in the AFC. Right. And another thing I'll say this about the standings in the, in the AFC, the divisional leaders are all – it's basically a four-way tie for the number one seed right now at 6-2. and yep. two. So Kansas City 6-2 and two with their loss. The Dolphins 6-2 and two with their win. Jacksonville 6-2. and two. And the Baltimore Ravens are 6-2 and two as well. Kind of – a little bit too close at the end there with the Cardinals. I mean, Aguilar dropped that onside kick there for Baltimore, and that was a clo- that was a close game for them. Thirty-one to twenty-four, Baltimore now six and two on top of their division, and obviously, as I just said, the four-way tie for the one seed in the AFC. And Kansas City right now, still, even though they have the loss, they would still have the number one seed right now with a four-way tie. Because they beat Jacksonville earlier this year. Jacksonville's defense played really well. Um, the, the run defense continues to play as a top five unit easily, in my opinion. Pittsburgh, uh, 70 yards on 18 carries. No ball carrier hit 20 yards. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts, though, on not putting away the Steelers? Though? Is that kind of for being, as you just said, Justin? No, no. when you – when you're going on the road and winning in Pittsburgh, That's it doesn't true. matter how you do it. The Steelers are a really good defense. Like, no, they won by ten in a weather in a bad weather environment. The Jags, uh, you know, they don't have to worry about style points. This isn't college. Yeah, they did have three bad turnovers in Pittsburgh territory, uh, two fumbles and an ugly interception by uh, Trevor Lawrence as well in the end zone. That didn't help uh, put put the game away either. Falcons Titans. Don't think we got the Falcons Titans. Will Levis. Uh, obviously the biggest takeaway from this game, Levis has arrived in Tennessee, four touchdowns in his debut. 
130 and a half yeah. passer ratings. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys – I mean, he played amazing, though. I mean, what do you think going forward for the QB position in Tennessee? He, they, they should turn I mean, it over to him. He's the young guy. you got an opportunity to grow. Like, Tannehill is what he is at this point. The Titans aren't going anywhere with him. You might as well see what you got out of the young guy and let him continue to play. Yeah. Uh, he loves DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins was on the receiving end of three out of the four touchdowns uh, by Levis. He totaled 128 receiving yards. Just the second time this season he's exceeded 65 receiving yards in a game. So he almost – well, I think he just – Barely doubled that um, just to, uh, yesterday alone, on or just Wednesday alone. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we've had on uh, John Burton a week or two ago talking about the Titans, and the fans definitely are clamoring for uh, Will Levis to have that start and see what he can do. And he finally gave it they, – they, they finally gave it to him yesterday. And, yeah, like you said, Zach, I think it's going to be his, his job to lose going forward. Uh, Rams Cowboys already talked about the Rams Cowboys. Uh, yeah, Vikings Packers. How about that? Kirk Cousins out for the year with yep. the torn Achilles. Tough, tough injury to see there for the Vikings. Even though they won, it's been a yep. it's been a pretty tragic year for the Vikings. I can say. I mean, they they started off zero and three, losing three close games. I mean, they've they've lost some close games and. They were starting to turn it around a little bit, beating the 49ers as well, beating the Packers this week. Yep. But, um, but yeah, for the Vikings to lose Kirk Cousins in that situation and Justin yep. Jefferson still on the IR as well. I mean, yep. that's just Vikings. That's a, that's a tough year for them so far. I know they're yep. still in the playoff hunt, but Kirk Cousins, maybe they do move on from him. They can't trade him now, but – what do they What do they do at, at the quarterback? Well, it sounds like there's a possibility of getting Jameis Winston. It sounds like the Saints and Vikings are closing in on a deal to send him up there. I would, I would. I mean, I yeah, I would. That would be amazing. I would love that. Yeah, uh, it's a good move I think it'd be so fun with Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison. Which, by the way, Jordan Addison, his stock continues to rise with uh, Jefferson being out. Uh, seven for eight target, targets yesterday for 82 yards and a touchdown. Um, I mean, he's been playing really, really good. And, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Vikings, maybe that's what they need. Jameis Winston to come in. That's what that's the spark they need. Kirk Cousins, though, I mean, I don't really need, think they need a spark on the QB position. He was playing at a MVP level, really, before he went down. He was playing so good. I think – I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Do you think he would be in the MVP conversation if they were better, like Kirk Cousins? Obviously not anymore, but if they were – had a better record and they were you know top in the nfc do you think that kirk cousins would, would have been in the NF mvp conversation i think so I, I i think he would probably be top five for mvp i don't know if he would win the mvp but maybe yeah. maybe not top five but the way the media kind of portrays him i mean definitely puts up a lot of stats but just doesn't win the big game that's you know that's the unfortunate part, but Kirk Cousins is a is a good quarterback. He's not just yeah. this game manager. He's definitely got an arm and he's got some weapons in Minnesota. It's just tough to see him go down and tough to see what what has happened to the Vikings this year compared to last year. I still think they have a have a good future, but 
they just, I mean, yeah, they got to fix some I'm, things on that. Team. I don't know if the Vikings defense can handle all the interceptions by Jameis, though. We'll, we'll see. They're definitely not going to, it's not, it's not going to be as uh, careful with the ball as they've been used to with with Kirk Cousins if Jameis comes in. That's for sure. It might might be get the might get the same offensive uh, output, but definitely uh, the, the turnover ratio will not be the same. <laughs> uh, Saints Colts Zach, let's talk about your Saints. Um, bad day for them, obviously. My Colts, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're weird because they're the only team in the NFL this year that has scored at least 20 points in every game, but they keep turning the ball over and they did it again yesterday and the defense gave up too many big plays. And You know, they're in a weird position because the excitement that I had for them coming into the year was built on the fact that Anthony Richardson was going to be able to develop. Well, that's not going to happen because he's hurt. Maybe he'll develop in the offseason, but this team's kind of rudderless right now. I mean, they've got a good running game, but again, too many turnovers and yeah. When you give up 38 points, you're not winning it. Yeah, you mentioned the big plays. Uh, both the Camaros scores came uh, from 15 yards out. Tyson Hill scored from the 20-yard line. And uh, Rashid Shahid, uh, Rashid Shahid, excuse me, he scored uh, from 58 yards out. So, yeah, a lot of big plays for for the uh, for the Saints this past game. And that was my biggest takeaway, obviously. Um, Ravens-Cardinals, don't think we touched on this either. Um what do you guys uh, think about the Ravens-Cardinals game? Touched on it a little bit, but the Ravens definitely – the Ravens are a scary team. I mean, Lamar Jackson, I know he only had 157 passing yards, 18 for 27 with a touchdown pass, but the Ravens are a very sneaky team as well in the AFC. Zay Flowers only had five catches for 19 yards, but the Ravens – a very run-heavy team. Gus Edwards had a good game as well. 19 carries for 80 yards. Three touchdown runs for Edwards as well. And Lamar Jackson continuing to run it with a with five carries for yeah. 17 yards. Pretty decent day for the Ravens. And now they are 6-2, and two, tied for the number one seed in a four-way tie, as I just said. With with the Chiefs, the Dolphins, yeah. and the Jaguars, you said, in the uh, AFC. Justin Gus Edwards played really well. He probably might have earned his uh, the starting, you know, the running back one. I guess you can call it RB one. So yeah, he played really, really good, and that was something that they kind of wanted to see. The Ravens fans wanted to see being of the season. You know how how well he was going to be able to play. Um, Bengals 49ers, I think we you know we touched on this game obviously yeah, already. Yeah. Uh, Sunday night game with the Bears and Chargers. <laughs> Not the best Sunday night yeah. game. Should have should have flexed that one out. I mean, put on the Bengals and the Niners. Put on the Browns and Seahawks. There's much better games. Hey, even Eagles Commanders. I know the Eagles were just on Sunday night football, but that's a rivalry game, and that's a always a close game between those two teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, why are you putting this game on Sunday night as a uh, Tyson Bagnant had two interceptions, and Herb Justin mm-hmm. Herbert, big game for the Chargers, 298 yards with three touchdowns and no interceptions. But Austin Eckler had a very good game as well, receiving, not just running the ball, but receiving. He had seven catches, 494 yards receiving, and a touchdown. So Eckler had a pretty good game. It combined 100-plus 100, 100 yards in this game for the Chargers as they won it 30 to 13. 
But why was this the Sunday night? Yeah, um, it's one of those games I can't really tell if, you know, the Chargers played well or the Bears just played really bad. I mean, obviously it's probably a combination of both, but I really can't tell which side the pendulum's swinging. I mean, I only watched, to be honest, the second half of this game, and I didn't, I didn't even watch Bajan play last week either. Bajan, I mean, for what I turned on the game anyhow, Bajan looked really, really bad. Um, he did not look <laughs> good, good at all. I mean, I know obviously he's not on the same level as Fields, but that was a, yeah, it wasn't nothing I saw from Bajan was really super exciting. Uh, if you're a Bears fan, and I know they want to see Fields come back as soon as possible. Trade deadline, guys. Let's move on. More NFL news, more NFL talk. I want to talk about the trade deadline to uh, tonight or today, whatever you want to say, at four o'clock. Eastern time is the trade deadline for the NFL. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll kind of start with you, Justin. Anything? What do you want to see? Like, what? I mean, what trades has happened so far that you like throughout this year? And more importantly, like, what trades do you think are going to happen uh, as we head into uh, this afternoon here? So, obviously, never underestimate Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles to make a move at the trade deadline. They definitely need help at running back and they definitely need a little bit of help in the secondary. I wouldn't mind if the Eagles went after Derrick Henry or Patrick Sertain. That would be a very, very good move for the Eagles. Maybe even put them over the top as well in the NFC, having the number one seed right now. And that's that's very important. I mean, they got to win this game Sunday against Dallas, and then they're 8-1 and one going into the bye. I mean, if they really want the number one seed, they got to – they got to make some. They got to make it, and pretty much an adjustment at running back or in the secondary as well. So never underestimate Howie Roseman's ability to do that. Yeah, my uh, my biggest takeaways I know is Montez Sweat, Chase Young. Uh, they they speaking of kind of the Eagles this past week. They they're on the rumor to be on the trade block uh, for the Commanders. I think the Titans look like they're gonna hold on to Derrick Henley. Henry, um, you already touched base on Kirk Cousins. He's not going to be traded now. I know he was kind of a rumored name, uh, you know, leading into the trade deadline. Uh, yeah, so Hunter Renfro could be on the move for, uh, by the Raiders. I think that would be kind of cool to see. I, I I love Hunter Renfro. He's a great player. Would love him to see. Would love to see him on a better team. Uh, Ravens and Bills both seem to be buyers. Uh, Oh, making that you know, making that deep playoff push like you kind of alluded to already, Justin too, and uh, Leonard Fournette is signing yep. with the Bills as well. Not a trade, but pretty yep. good signing yep. for Buffalo yeah, as Leonard well. Fournette. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, Broncos may end up trading a lot this year to get a lot of picks. We already know that. I mean, they're going to be sellers for sure at the trade deadline. Hopefully, uh, obviously, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, not not really a whole lot of trades so far. Just a lot of rumors, which is. Kind of the case, especially you know, any NFL, NBA, whatever it may be, a lot of a lot of rumors that go around, and uh, maybe only one or two big trades actually end up happening. Zach, anything you want to add in here uh, from the trade deadline coming up here today? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the old Jameis Winston of Minnesota thing is is out there. I I think it's going to be interesting to see what teams are buyers, which teams are sellers. Like, because I mean. Kansas City needs a wide receiver, I mm-hmm. think. I don't really know who they trust at that position right now. Baltimore could always be on the mix for a, for a receiver, too. Uh, the Dolphins, I think they've got to be an aggressive team in the, the deadline because I think they're 
a half step behind the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Ravens right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if they made a move. Uh, maybe Dallas goes out and gets another receiver. I'm gonna, so I want to see which of the top teams actually goes out and be, is aggressive. I'm pretty sure the Eagles are going to be aggressive, as we've talked about Howie Roseman is one of the best, if not the best, at orchestrating trades. But we'll see if uh, San Francisco maybe goes out and makes a move because they, they need to right now. I mean, losing three straight. So let's see if the, uh, the contenders, which one of them is going to come up with the move that kind of gets them over the top because I'm waiting for somebody to be aggressive. Yeah, I mean um... – we kind of already alluded to it already, but like, what what trades do you guys particularly want to see? I mean, I know Justin, you mentioned the Eagles, um, you know, getting that run attack, but anything else you particularly want to see coming out of the trade deadline may not happen, <laughs> but at least would be would be cool to see at least. It would be, um, you know, if the Giants actually trade Saquon to the Ravens, I think Saquon Barkley would would actually help the Ravens running attack out, but. Gus Edwards, as we just alluded to, as we just talked about, seems to be the best running back right now in that rotation for the Ravens. But the Broncos, I think the Broncos need to need to start shopping players around. I know Sean Payton just said the Broncos aren't, but I I think the Broncos are definite. The Broncos definitely should be sellers. Maybe even the Commanders, the Giants as well as a few other teams. We already have kind of seen the Titans made, you know, obviously mm-hmm. could be a seller, could trade Derrick Henry, but it's going to be, it's, it is going to be very interesting, but with the NFL trade deadline, it's kind of the opposite of the MLB trade deadline where moves are happening every 20 seconds with the NFL. It's pretty much notorious for not so many moves made at the trade deadline, but I would like to see more trades this year. I would like to see more trades in the NFL trade deadline compared to the MLB, the NHL, in and the NBA because those deadlines have a lot of movement, and I think there should be more movement yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, no, I would love. Um, you know, I would. Uh, Jameis Winston, I think, would be really cool. Uh, like you said, Zach, earlier, I think that would be awesome. That's not really. Yeah, that would be. That'd be an awesome. Uh, addition for the Vikings, especially of course with uh, Kirk Cousins coming out. But yeah, um, the fe- the court uh, Cleveland Browns could use a cornerback after losing Greg Newsom. Uh, defense is obviously fine. Besides that, but uh, yeah, they could definitely use a cornerback, and I would cornerback. I would love to see that, of course. Um, Zach, anything you want to add that they sh- that you would like to see uh, potentially for the trade deadline before moving on? Yeah, it's too bad DeAndre Hopkins didn't just pick a, a good team with a competent quarterback. I would have liked to see him with the Bills or with the Chiefs or somebody that's in need of a wide receiver. But I'll say Saquon Barkley to the Bills is the move I want to see because Buffalo has never had a good running game since Josh Allen got there. He's never had an elite running back, and we talked about it. In the preseason, there were rumors about him getting traded to the Bills. So I think that would be a, a great situation for him to go to. And I think for the Bills, it's cheap, and it's it's doable. I mean – I, that's the move I want to see. Do you think uh, the Falcons get a quarterback? Maybe Tannehill? I, heard, I saw a couple reports on that. I mean, that would be kind of interesting, Possibly. especially with Levis uh, coming out, playing the way he did. And you talked about DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, yeah, it's been frustrating so far for the Titans, but we'll see We'll see what happens going down the stretch. Four, uh, like I said, three, three out of the four touchdowns yesterday for the Titans. Three out of the four uh, Levis touchdowns yesterday were – DeAndre Hopkins. So, yeah, we should definitely see yeah. what happens 
down the stretch there. New week's resolutions, guys. Let's move on. Zach, what is your new week's resolution? Uh, my new week's resolution is I want to see the World Series go to seven games because game one was fantastic. Game two was not so much, but I want to see if the Rangers can continue to be road warriors. I mean, they won all four road games in Houston in the ALCS, so they're, they might be in the position that they want to be in. You know, one one, the chance to win the next three and finish that series off. But if you're baseball and you know you got these two teams, it's not necessarily the biggest markets. You need a game seven in order to sell the series in many ways. So I, I think that's the big thing that we want to see is the World Series go to seven games. By the way, guys, but yeah, today is the uh, sports equinox, okay. by the way. All four professional leagues are all in action today. All right, awesome. Yeah, I think if it happens like if you're if you're lucky once a year. I don't think it happens much more than once a year. But uh, my new week's resolution was going to be, we already kind of touched on it so much, but just the Vikings going to get a quarterback uh, at you know at the trade deadline or even just a you know a free agent pick I couldn't even I was thinking before the show before we started recording I was trying to think of who they even had as their backup quarterback I didn't I didn't even you know I didn't recognize a single name I mean Nick Mullins I've heard of before Sean Mannion um, maybe rings a bell yeah. too but I mean besides that they really don't have any viable option at quarterback so yeah I'm not going to continue going on it in, in length, I know we've already kind of touched on it. Just their their immediate quarterback now that Kirk Cousins is going to be out for the out for the year with that Achilles injury. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, because the, the Vikings have they battled back into the playoff talks and compete against the Lions in the NFC North if they can get a competent quarterback. So uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, that's my new week's resolution, and hopefully by uh, the trade deadline this afternoon they can they can get something done. Justin, what's your new week's resolution? I'd like to see some more trades at the deadline, as I just mentioned before. I think the NFL not being, you know, known for not being active at the trade deadline kind of needs to, needs to, you know, come to a stop. I want to see more activity. I want to see more active moves. And I think if you're an NFL team that's a contender right now or an NFL team that's kind of mailing it in for the season, if you will, they should make trades. They should, they should definitely – be more trades because I, I think more movement at the trade deadline would be just as interesting as, you know, the other trade deadlines. I think that that's the one thing that the NFL could improve on. Of, of, you know, there's other things to improve on, but I think the trade deadline should be, should be, should definitely have much more movement as I just alluded to. Okay, guys, let's move on to our interview with Chuck Pollock, breaking down the Bills season so far over, you know, over 25 minutes, 30 minutes of uh, just talking about the Bills. Uh, pretty poor season so far, all things considered. They bounced back a little bit with uh, this past Thursday win uh, against the Bucks, But, yeah, breaking down what happened so far and, you know, his, his expectations going forward and what the team kind of has to do going forward as well. But, yeah, without uh, any – Without any further ado, let's head to Buffalo and talk to Chuck. Okay, we now head to Buffalo. Talk to Chuck Pollock, recurring guest from the Wellsville Sun. Chuck, how you doing? We had you on back in, I think, end of March, a long, long time ago we had you on. Talked some bills then, uh, you know, end of the season, you know, when how the season ended for them last year. Now we're you know well in the week eight here. They just we're actually recording this on um, the the right after Thursday night football. So we're recording this on Friday. Um, 
this I want to talk about Thursday night football though first, and then we'll kind of talk to this, you know talk about the season they've had so far and the season they have coming up as well. Just t- take me through how important and how vital it was for the Bills to win this game last night uh, under the big lights. Well, I'll tell you, it was interesting. One of my colleagues in this morning's Buffalo News summed it up very well. It wasn't a get well game, but it was a get better game. Uh, It was a must, must win. And I think, Jared, when you and I talked last March, we talked about the schedule. We knew who they were going to play. We just didn't know the dates back then. Mm -hmm. But I believe I told you that my prediction for this season was 10 and 7 which put a lot of Bills fans in a rage. But I saw who they were going to play and where they were going to play those teams. And I thought 10-7 and is not going to win the division. It might get them in the playoffs, but that's not even a guarantee. And here they are, 5-3. and And other than a three-game stretch where they looked unbeatable, where, where they, they played so well against the Raiders, the Commanders, and the Dolphins especially, and you say, my goodness, this, is, this team is a Super Bowl contender. And then since then, they've poor, played three terrible games and one okay game, which was last night. That was a must win. But the reason I say it was a get better game is that the offense has started to pick up. They played at a quicker pace. Uh, Josh Allen got pit, uh, passes away last night faster than any time since he's been a pro. So that was really impressive. But here they are on the last play of the game with Baker Mayfield throwing a 55-yard Hail Mary that falls incomplete in the end zone but could have been caught by Chris Godwin. And you say, wait a minute, this game should have been in hand at halftime, and it wasn't. So they're improving incrementally, but they've got a tough row ahead. Now, they're off 10 days, which helps, but then they're going to go to Cincinnati, which, as you know, is improving. And beside that, on the road, they have both Super Bowl teams, Philadelphia and Kansas City. They've got the Chargers. They've got the Dolphins, and for good measure at home, they've got Dallas. So <laughs> I'm almost wondering if I overestimated when I said 10-7 and 7 because injuries on their defense have changed the way this team is. But it sounds like the offense might be more of the problem for the Bills. I mean, I've said it before. They always seem to be kind of lackluster, flat-footed. They, know, they don't play with a whole lot of energy sometimes, it seems like. Is that kind of what the fans say, too? You kind of alluded to it already um, when you started. You know, you're right from the context that Josh Allen has been badgered for the last couple of years about running too much, about not sliding, about not stepping out of bounds and putting himself at risk. And clearly when he's on the run, he's a terrific weapon. But I think this finally did get to him. And so coming into this season, and it was almost like he picked it up after that great stretch against the uh, the Raiders and Commanders and, and Dolphins, but they've been lackadaisical on offense, very slow starts. Now, yesterday was a little bit better, 
because they scored 17, although they were only up a touchdown. But in those three games against the Buccaneers in London, that fiasco against the Giants, and then most recently, uh, it was not a good stretch. And it was almost like Josh had kind of toned himself back and not been as aggressive. And I think, really, he was kind of getting pounded, particularly because it wasn't just it wasn't just the coaches who were after him. And, and clearly, Sean McDermott has been on his case about, hey, Sean, we can't lose you by being careless when you're on the run. And so that was a that was a case anyway. But even even the fans, as much as they loved to see what he did when he was taking off, uh, they were concerned about him getting getting hurt. Yeah. So that's kind of where that's kind of where they were. And last night he kind of emerged out of that, was more aggressive. And but even then there was a sobering moment. He got sacked, two yard loss. Just tripped up, but he landed on his right shoulder. The next, as soon as he left the field, he went in the blue tent. He came back, didn't miss any time, but he admitted his uh, shoulder was sore and um, that he would be fine and certainly with 10 days off. But, you know, you take that guy away from that lineup, they're not even a 500 team. So there's a lot of edginess about the way this team has performed to this point, especially with what they have coming up. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it. I saw a stat last last week that you know kind of blew my mind. I mean, I think uh, on Thursday Night Football, he had his 43rd career rushing touchdown um, in his career, and it actually tied Steve Young for the most second most all time <laughs> among you know among quarterbacks. So he's a sneaky you know runner, especially on the you know in the red zone. So you think like. So you think his conservative play, it sounds like that might be what the Bills have really been trying to adjust to lately, it sounds like. And that's kind of why they've been having some struggles on offense is just because Allen, rightfully so, is, might just be a little less cavalier and might be toning it down a little bit. And they've just have had to, had to kind of adjust to that, huh? I think that's right. But I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure philosophically that's the right route to take because a lot of fans um and of course you know marv levy used to say you listen to the fans you end up sitting with them but um the fans feeling is let josh be josh and there's a case to be made for that but there's there's a risk you know and it's interesting the stat you brought up about steve young josh is a bigger guy josh is six foot five and 240 pounds has pretty good speed, but he's fearless when he's on the run to his detriment at times. So it's uh, they kind of have to find a, a, at least a happy medium. Now, he pretty much didn't run the last three games, and the only game they won out of those was a steal when there's a blown call on the final play on, on an untimed down that they beat the Giants at home, of all things. But last night, he ran seven times for 41 yards, scored from 18 yards out. So he was a weapon. And so they, they've got to find a way, I guess, to mitigate the risk while letting him try to be himself. Yeah. Um, and I think you mentioned, you, you worded it really well. I mean, it wasn't a get well game. It was a get better game because all things considered, it still was not a great performance for the Bills. Bucks have looked really good 
beginning of the season, like their first three games of the season, they obviously played really, really well. But I mean, they, you know, since then, they've, they definitely have kind of sloughed off a little bit and are now kind of considered back as one of the worst, you know, half of the teams uh, in the league. So, yeah, I mean, to, to be, you know, have the game decided on pretty much the last minute how Mary, or last second how Mary, you know, definitely not a great look for the Bills. Uh, still got the win, but I, I know the fans, like you alluded to, Chuck, definitely, definitely want to see more out of the Bills, especially more of a killer instinct. I want to go back to something else we said on the show last week as well. We had a discussion about uh, Sean McDermott uh, potentially maybe being on, you know, of a hot seat, kind of of a hot seat uh, end of the year if, God forbid, they miss the playoffs or at least get an early exit in the playoffs. What are your thoughts on on that being a potential? I'll tell you what, Jared, uh, he's still on the hot seat. Um, I think he made an absolutely horrendous decision by deciding, and I think we talked about this when we last did, uh, but he was going to call the defensive signals. And the narrative was Leslie Frazier had decided to step away, which is laughable. This is a 64-year-old guy who is the defensive coordinator of a Super Bowl contender and wants, again, to be a head coach. Does it make any sense that at this point in his career he'd step away for a season? Of course not. I will give Josh – I will give – well, in, in, I have to give Sean credit for being sensitive enough to Leslie – and respecting him so much, he put him in a position where he's like on a sabbatical, but he's getting paid. That's great. <laughs> but I think, and it's been proven, I think, with on-field results, that being a defensive coordinator takes a tremendous amount of time. And in my view, what it does is take away from the time he needs for came management which is his primary job. I just don't think he looked far enough ahead to see that. And in his own way, he's kind of admitted to that. Now, in fairness to him, uh, the defense hasn't played particularly well, but they had a disastrous two games, Miami, and then the, the, the following week against Jacksonville, they lost their arguably three best defenders. They lost their outside linebacker, Matt Milano, an all-pro guy. They lost Tredavious White, their best cornerback, an all-pro guy. And the other guy doesn't get a lot of publicity, but he was their best run stuffer, Daquan Jones. So you take away three vital cogs like that in a defense, they're, that's problematic. Yeah. So I, I, I give... I give McDermott at least a little wiggle room on that, but I, I I still think he's made a mistake trying to take that over. And in, in a way, there's kind of an arrogance to that. Like Leslie didn't do the job, and I'm the I'm the one and only guy who can fix this. Well, I'm not sure that he has. Yeah, I know it. it can, I'm sure it could be hard to kind of weed out. You know, is it McDermott? calling the plays or is it the injuries that they've had but either way i mean it, what you kind of said the bigger issue is that it's taking away from his head coaching uh responsibilities and that's kind of showing on the field are the any 
rumblings that the Bills are looking for a defensive coordinator, and if so, who that potentially could be? No, <laughs> is the short answer. And I think Sean's ego prevents that. I don't think he wants to bring in somebody who might be a threat if the team struggles to take his job. So, uh, but I will say, last night, because they won, it kind of helps. The guy who's yeah, certainly, McDermott has been under the heat since over these last four games. But so has Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator. And it was because the team seemed to be playing so uh, non-aggressively. And so he's been under it a lot. Now, clearly last night with the fact that they speeded up how quickly they played, that Josh got the ball out of, out of his hand more quickly than he has as a pro, all of a sudden that looked very good. But they scored a touchdown on their first drive of the third period last night. Didn't score for the last 19 minutes. And that's why the Buccaneers were there at the end. So clearly there are still problems offensively the one the one huge thing last night that came out of it was that Stefan Diggs was a cog and not the main focus he caught nine balls but Dalton Kincaid mm -hmm. rookie tight end he was the only one on the roster they they had only one tight end active last night he caught uh five balls caught a touchdown uh Gabe Davis, who has been in remarkably inconsistent, caught nine balls, caught a touchdown. And so what Josh did last night was spread the ball around. And that, to me, was the single best indication that they're ready to address the problems that have stifled that offense. Would you say the Bills will add another receiver at the deadline or – even look for a receiver on the street, basically. I mean, they seem to need a lot of offensive weapons, not just Diggs and Dalton Kincaid at tight end. You know, I there's some question about the quality of the people who would be available on the open market. Um, and they're not really oriented to making trades during the season. And they did one for a wide receiver four years back when they went to Carolina for obvious reasons. General manager Brandon Bean used to be in Carolina. He made a trade for Kelvin Benjamin, and it was a disaster. So there is that, there is that question. Now, last night, Khalil Shaker had a nice, nice game. Deontay Hardy from New Orleans played pretty well. So I think they feel that they have guys in place. I think it's more a question, Justin, of is, is Josh going to look for them more? And last night he did. Yeah, Khalil Shaker uh, led the team in receiving yards like you alluded to, Bill. Six receptions, 92 yards. Um, so yeah, and Dalton Kincaid's been playing pretty well the last couple of weeks too. It, it almost sounds like though, from a national perspective, uh, Chuck, you would say that 
they were pretty. Uh, they were pretty much. They were pretty overrated as a team going into the season. Then it sounds like uh, they were expecting to go to the Super Bowl by many people at the start of the season, especially the conference uh, conference championship. Well, I will say this, Jared. I they weren't overrated by me um, because I just saw I just saw the flaws, and the the opening flaw was the mess they had at middle linebacker. And they've lucked out. And obviously, I don't, there was nothing they could do to keep uh, the previous starter. You know, Edmonds w- got $72 million from the Bears. There's no way the Bills were up against the cap. So I, I don't lament that. Uh, but then they, they really didn't name anybody. And Terrell Bernard, who they liked, was nursing injuries through the preseason, so he saw no action in the exhibition games. But he's come in and played extremely well. And Terrell Dotson, who was also in the mix to fill that spot, he's now in Milano's position because they're just not getting what they wanted from from this, this year's rookie. So... Um, you know, those were very, very much sore points. But coming into the season, the other issue on offense was who's the number two wideout? And so many people remember in 2021, here's Gabe Davis catching four touchdowns on the road against the Chiefs in that 13 seconds debacle, and he looked like he was the answer. Well, last year he was here and there and here and there. That's been the case last year. And then last night you watch him and you say, hey, he's, he's the guy. But I don't know what the Bills have to do to keep him in that mindset. Would you say Brian Dable was probably the reason that uh, Gabriel Davis regressed? Because Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator during that game in Kansas City, the 13 seconds of points there. And do you think – so? Brian Dable is probably solely missed by the Bills' offense. Would you say that? I think, I think he is. And one reason is, Justin, is that he had such a strong relationship with Josh. Now, there's no way that, and, and, and actually contractually he couldn't have done it, that Sean would try to keep him from getting a head coaching job. I mean, that's kind of the way he got to the Bills as a coordinator who finally was able to leave and take a head coaching job. But Brian, Brian was Brian was a, a guy who um sorry. No worries. Uh Brian was a guy who who uh related well to that unit. And Ken Dorsey is a different guy, and it just seemed like he also had some time to put his system together. And so, uh, you know, he's missed. He, he's absolutely missed. So I I, um, I feel badly for Ken Dorsey because I think he's trying to figure it out. But Brian Dable last year took the Giants, who were lousy, and find a, found a way to steer them into the playoffs and – win a road playoff game, which is extraordinary. And I had told people ahead of time before 
the Giants came to Buffalo this year, they were predicting because the Giants were so lousy that uh, the Bills were going to win by two or three touchdowns. Uh, I picked the Will Bills to win that game by a field goal. And the reason was I was absolutely positive that Brian Dable was not going to come back to his hometown and let his team be embarrassed. And he knew a lot about that team, and he exploited every single thing he knew. And But for a blown officiating cool, uh, call on the last play of the game, uh, he would have stolen that game. And what a crushing loss and embarrassing an embarrassing loss too for for McDermott. Yeah, Chuck, the only looking last year, the only wild card team from the AFC was actually the the only wild card team that made the playoffs, I should say, with nine wins was uh the Miami Dolphins actually last year. So and currently, you know, going after you know Thursday night football, uh they you know both tied now five with you know five with five wins. So let me ask you this. I know we had you on earlier, uh, end of March, and you said 10 wins for the Bills. It sounds like you're still that. I mean, after, you know, these eight games here, it sounds like that's still what you're riding is, is, is a 10 win season for the Bills. I, I, I am. And uh, but as I mentioned a while ago, maybe I overestimated because looking at their schedule, you could foresee the possibility of them losing six more games. Yeah. They can lose nine games, and I hope that doesn't happen. But certainly, their situation defensively has been mitigated by the injuries, and so I, I'm sticking with ten wins. But I reserve the right to say maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, last game of the season against the Dolphins could be extremely uh, important. It's hard to beat a team twice in the NFL, especially the Dolphins. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what, how it comes down, you know, how it comes down the stretch. I mean, next game, like you said, against the Bengals, um, that's, you know, that's going to be a primetime game, Sunday night game. Then they got the Broncos and Jets, kind of a nice uh, cushioning. And then they have to see the, you know, and they have to go to a span of the Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, uh, and Patriots. And then, like I said, Dolphins to, to finish up the year. So, Chuck, Chuck, this has been really uh, awesome. I, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, it, it, it just kind of sounds like the Bills' best chance to go forward this year is to outscore their opponents, and that's they're going to have a hard time even doing that, it sounds like. so. They, they are. Certainly you didn't feel that way during that three-game stretch when they're averaging 41 points a game, but now uh, the view is entirely, entirely different. Certainly, I, I don't think it's... I think they very well can make the playoffs, but they need a couple of big wins against very good teams. And it'll be interesting to see whether they can fashion those. And from what we've seen defensively, that's probably not how they're going to get it done. They've got to rediscover how to fire up that offense and score some big points. Well, Chuck, why don't we plan to have you on uh, maybe end of the year? See how check in, see how the team's doing with the status, and you know how how if they make the, if they made the playoffs. Hopefully, they do, and then you know maybe uh, going into the playoffs, what their outlook kind of is. See how they have pro- improved as as a team, and you know hopefully not gotten worse, but see how they how they have improved and what their outlook going into the playoffs is. Perfect. Well, Justin and Jared, I I uh, 
very much enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate the time and the chance to express my thoughts. All right. Well, we thank Thanks you for coming on. We thank okay. you for them. So we'll do it again sometime soon. Okay. You got it. All Be right. well, guys. Right. See you, Chuck. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Let's finish up the show with our intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, who is your intake of the week? My intake of the week is a follow-up from the interview that we just did with Chuck Pollock with the Bills. Uh, the, he, he predicted a 10-7 and 7 record for the Bills, and I think they're on pace to do that, almost losing to Tampa Bay, almost losing to the Giants. Two of those losses would have been at home, and as, I, as we've pretty much talked about with the Bills, they have not been the contender that a lot of people thought they would be this year. So, uh, yeah, Chuck Pollock's takes is my intake of the week. Yeah, Bills. Broke, it, broke it down with him in the interview. Uh, Bills have been struggling uh, lately, obviously, this you know, since the start of the season. And, uh, you know, he did a really good job of explaining all that, you know, and all that, why that was, too. My intake of the week, uh, NBA. Did you guys see this? They uh, broke out their court designs for the uh, in-season mm-hmm. tournaments this year, and they look Oh, they look awesome. Uh, the designs allow for different uh, color schemes and different like concepts to be dis- to be displayed by the team. So the teams have a lot of say and a lot of input into what goes into these courts. Makes the in-season tournament uh, that much more special and provides the opportunity for the in-season tournament to be you know something that the fans might like going down the line. And it might make it more viable and uh, more of a thing that people want to actually follow. It's going to make the the idea is to make the courts seem more home-like, of course, being games that do count in the regular season. Uh, and teams, as we all know, were pretty pretty upset when the in- in-season tournament news first came out because a lot of the teams were losing their home court, uh, their, you know, their home court game. So, yeah, awesome, though. The designs look so cool. Uh, they just came out this past week. Um, different, like I said, all the different color schemes that mimic the home team and really just kind of make the home team um yeah feel like it's just another home game and yeah i'm all for it it looks awesome zach what is your intake of the week so my intake of the week is going to be the fact that that as you we mentioned earlier the patriots have started to play a little bit better football so you know bill belichick i think is going to remain the head coach you know everybody that thinks he's going to leave i've seen too many articles saying it's not going to happen belichick's never getting fired he's won six super bowls he has pretty much earned the right to leave whenever he wants he's earned the right to pretty much do whatever he wants that's what happens when you win six super bowls so uh, the, the idea that he's not going anywhere is going to be my intake yep yeah we talked about that for sure he's going to leave when he wants to leave Outtake of the week. Justin, what's your outtake of the week? So my outtake of the week is anybody that believes Colorado is a top 10 team. There's definitely some teams that a lot of people were talking about that are top 10 teams that shouldn't be. But Colorado's not ready to win yet. Colorado's not a top 10 team. They're not a top 4 team. Uh, they're, they're, let's face it, they're not ready to win yet. And Deion Sanders is the coach, I think, He's turned around the program, but he definitely needs to get a better grip on the program as well, and not just with all the marketing and stuff. I know the marketing helps, especially in this day and age, but uh, but Colorado definitely needs to clean it up. And for anybody saying they're a top 10 team, that is my outtake. My outtake of the week, uh, Yahoo Sports senior NBA writer Ben Warbeck uh, wrote a couple articles uh 
being that, you know, hot takes we might actually believe. That was the name of his article. Um, he wrote one of the hot takes is the Warriors no longer being a serious title contender. Definitely not the same team they were in the dynasty. Their dynasty, I think, is over for the Warriors, but they can definitely still be a uh, title contender, especially NBA anymore is less and less predictable. We saw it last year for sure was an awesome example of this, and even the year before that was a good example. As long as you have the best shooter in the league, and really the best shooter of all time on your on your team, and then they have, have the core of you know Clay, Draymond, and they did they, you know, Wiggins has been playing really well, too. Chris Paul added depth to the bench. I mean, they're definitely a team to mess with, and they're definitely going to be a, a good team this year. I think last year was a little bit of a fluke. I think they will be back again this year, and, and for sure are definitely still a title contender. So, yeah, that's my outtake of the week. Um, dynasty over, but definitely can, you know, Ben Warbeck, I, I don't believe in his take. I think the Warriors can definitely still compete for a title. Zach, what is your outtake of the week? Yeah, Pat Narduzzi basically throwing his entire team under the bus after they got blown out against Notre Dame the other day. He said, I'll go back as a coach. You lose a lot of good players from a year ago, and you think as a coach you're going to replace them, and obviously we haven't. You talk about losing the locker room and how players are going on Twitter and saying, like, what the heck, and, you know, quote tweeting and responding to that. That's how you lose a locker room. That is just something you don't say. Even if you believe it, you don't say it in public. Anyway, and that that's just that's a soundbite that's going to come back and bite him. And Deion Sanders did the same thing as far as trying to say that we need to go out and get better offensive linemen. So pretty much every time you lose a game, are you going to say, you know, we need to go out and get new players instead of developing the players you have? So coaches just got to think before they talk, man, especially nowadays with the transfer portal and all that. Yeah, definitely. And everything gets captured in social media, too. They. Yeah, heat of the moment. Don't really think about it. Don't really think ahead. But no, I agree. Definitely have to watch what you say because it's going to get captured by somebody with some phone somewhere. So, all right, guys, great show. Uh, working on logistics for the guests on Thursday, but overall, it'll be a great show. Going to be going to do all things college uh, football week. Uh, you know, week ten here we just had. So we're going to you know break down you know break down all the games this past week on Saturday and. The, you know the week prior as well and then obviously gonna give our input into the weeks coming up on saturday as well so good good show on thursday and uh we'll see you then but until then keep on traveling